Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. It's the first gospel. Some of y'all looking around going, what are they doing? What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> if you weren't holding your Bible, what are you doing? Come on, this is the word of God. We respect it. We honor it. We believe that it holds power. It's good. Amen. The word of God, I just, I just preached Wednesday night in Fort Payne. I'll tell you, if you want to, to know uh, the un- and understand what God's word is for your life, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. That word profitable means advantageous. That means it creates successful situations for you and I to walk in. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what God's word is. So if you're not reading the word of God on a daily basis, you're missing out. There's nothing in the Bible says you got to read it to go to heaven. But my question is why, if you're on your way to heaven, why would you not want to read it? It's profitable. It will help you in every aspect of your life. So get into the word of God. Amen. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read a large portion of scripture and it's going to be verses 14 through 30. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and picking up in the 14th verse of the 25th chapter of Matthew. He says, for the kingdom of heaven, or some translations would say the kingdom of God is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each one according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So he doubled what the master had given him. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, look, Lord, you delivered to me two talents, and I have gained two more talents besides them. He said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there. You have what's yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given, and he will have abundance." But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast into the, and cast, he says, the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you bow your head and pray with me this morning? Father, I ask that you would allow me to teach your holy word with truth and clarity today. I thank you that you have given us this perfect book to look to for life for direction, for guidance, for wisdom, for instruction, for correction, for instruction and training in righteousness. And God, today we submit ourselves 
not to an idea or a philosophy, but we submit ourselves to your holy word, which is true, which is life for us, which is peace for us. And we say thank you. Lord, I pray a blessing over Pastor Greg and Gretchen as they're on vacation. Be with them. Lord, I pray over the well Fort Payne as Pastor Whalen ministers the word, that you would be with him and use him. I pray for the well at Christ Church as Robbie shares the word today, that you would be with him. And we thank you that we are advancing the kingdom of God together as the well. And we just give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. We invite your presence right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, I want to talk to you today for just a few minutes, if you give me just a little bit of your time, because we, as we look at this text that we just read, this parable that Jesus told, and Jesus would often use parables to communicate an idea or a thought or a revelation that the Father had given to him, because Jesus only said what the Father was telling him to say. He only did what the Father was telling him to do, but he would try to translate it in a way that common people could understand it. We could grasp it. And so he tells us this parable. And some thing that we usually don't take into account when we read or preach about this specific parable is the fact that Jesus is talking about the end times. We don't realize this a lot. Because we've taught this for so long about your talents and your abilities and your money and your stewardship, all of which matter, all of which are important. But if you take into context what is being said and you back up to Matthew chapter 24 and you begin reading there and you go all the way through chapter 25, you will find that the disciples come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, tell us what's it going to be like in the end times. Listen, if you got a question right now this morning, wonder if you're living in the end times, I'll answer it for you right now. You are. It started actually a long time ago, the end times, and it's just drawing closer and closer, nearer and nearer. The other day, somebody asked me, when do you think Jesus is coming back? I said, I don't know, but it's sooner today than it was yesterday. I know that to be true. And so he, they asked him, how do, what's it going to look like? And Jesus begins this discourse with them, and he starts in chapter 24, and he begins to teach them and show them, this must happen, then this must happen. There will be rumors of war. There will be wars. There, the, there will be all these signs in the sky, and he begins to teach them what's going to happen. But then then he tells them a few parables. And this parable, the parable of the talents, is stuck smack dab in between the middle of the parable of the ten virgins, five of which were wise, five of which were foolish, and then the parable of the sheep and the goats. Both most people would say are in time teaching when the return of Christ. But this one's right there in the middle. And if you look at the verbiage in it where he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, what's Jesus going to say to you one day when you stand before him? He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful service or servant, or he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And he said to the wicked servant, he said, put him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is symbolic of hell. So he's not just talking about your abilities and your talents and your monies. And he is talking about how you conduct and live your life while you're here on this earth and what he has given you. And I believe, in fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I believe this is the most important parable that Jesus ever taught. I really do. And there, not that it, not that any of the other ones are less, you know, important. When I say that, I'm not saying that, that what Jesus said, there's no power in the other ones, but I think that this parable applies to every single season of your life. You can, you can teach this in regards to money. You can teach this in regards to time. You can teach this in regards to abilities and talents. You can teach this in regards to anything because the word of God is eternal and full of life. But today, I want to look at it and I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about having an effective faith. Look at your neighbor and say, do you have an effective faith? 
If you're watching online today, just type in, I want to have an effective faith, if that's something that's a desire of your heart. I don't know about you, but I want to have an effective faith. Because I believe there's a lot of people that claim that they have faith, but is their faith really working? Is their faith really doing anything? Because we can claim faith, 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 faith. All I want, I'm believing for this, I'm believing for that. But I want to ask you today, is your faith actually effective? Meaning, is your faith changing things in your life, and is it changing things in the life of others? Do you want and desire an effective faith? Because I know that I do. I believe, I want, I desire to be used by God, but in order to be used by God, I've got to have faith because the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse six says that without faith, it is impossible to please God for anyone who is going to come to him must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we must have faith. Every single one of us should desire to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Whether you're a plumber, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, you have a calling and a responsibility of God to make a difference where you are, but you're not going to do it without faith. You've got to have faith. You are called to be a carrier of his presence. And in fact, if you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, we'll get back to the parable. Don't worry about it. But if you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, you don't have to turn there right now, but I want to tell you what it says. It says that God has given to each man, has dealt to each man a measure of faith. Every single person. That means that God imputed, he gave, he implanted, he put inside of you a measure of the ability to believe and take him at his word and believe that he is able to do anything above all you could ask, think, or possibly ever imagine. He gave you that ability, but it says that he gave to each one a measure of faith. Now let's go back to the parable of the talents at the beginning of the story. The master's going on a long journey. He calls his servants in. He deals his goods to them. And it says he gave to each one according to their ability. So I believe that we can take this parable that Jesus is talking about because what is one thing that God has given to every single person? Faith. And he gave to every single one of them a measure, a talent, according to their ability. Which shows me, everyone does not have the same measure of faith. But everyone has the amount that they need in order to do what God has called them to do in their lifetime. Some people do have a greater measure of faith. But that doesn't make them any better. God doesn't love them anymore. It's just that God has a different call and purpose and plan on their life, and he wants to use them. But he gave to every single person. So don't for a second sit there and think, well, I don't have enough faith. And don't also think that you need to say, well, maybe God will give me faith today. God already gave you faith. And you need to tap into the faith that he has given you. He has implanted and imputed inside of you. Every single person has been given a measure of faith. So he gave to each of these servants One talent, two talents, five talents, according to their own ability. Not everyone got the same thing. And I don't want to be the servant that gets to the judgment seat of Christ, that stands before my Lord and my master and says, I wasn't really sure what to do. I wasn't sure if it was good enough. I wasn't sure if it was big enough. I didn't know if I used it, it would actually work. It would actually grow. So I didn't do anything with it. I just hid it away. And here, here it is back to you. I don't want to be that servant. Because when it got to that servant, he called him wicked and lazy. And the last thing I want to be is wicked and lazy in the eyes of my father. I want him to look at me like he looked at the one that took two and turned. And listen, he didn't 
greet the one that had two and gain two any worse or any better than he did the one that had five and gained five. He said the exact same thing. And I feel like if the one that had one would have taken it and made two, he would have said, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you were faithful to do with what I gave you to do everything that you needed to do. So I want to be somebody that's faithful. I don't want to look and go, well, I don't have the faith of John or I don't have the faith of Susan. And so therefore I can't do what they do. No, God gave you a measure of faith and you just need to be, to, to be Uh, faithful to believe him that he is able to do anything that he instructs you to do. And I, you know, he went and he said, I I buried it. Why? I was afraid. What's the opposite of faith is fear. He allowed fear to be greater than his faith. And he buried it in the ground. I want to be like the servant that said, here's the faith that you gave me. Here's the measure that you gave me, and here's what I did with it. Not, not what I did with it in a prideful way, but it's the only reason that I accomplished what I accomplished during my time here on earth was the faith that you gave me. I used what you gave me. I used it to win souls. I used it to heal the sick. I used it to raise the dead. I used it to start a revival in my school or in my workplace. I used it to train my children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I used it to study the word and allow the word to become life to me so that I could speak it to other people. I used what you gave me to set the oppressed free, to do things that nobody had ever seen or thought or heard of. I was living in the middle of 2020. I was living in 2021 in crazy times, but I just chose to believe that your word was still good even when the world was going bad. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, though, in regards to faith. That is that God cannot bless what you will not do. Think about that for a second. God can't bless what you won't do. He couldn't look at the servant that had one and didn't do anything, say, well, at least you didn't lose it. He said, you're wicked and you're lazy. Why? I can't bless what you won't do. God gave you a measure of faith. And if you're not using it and you're wondering where's the blessing of God, it's because you have not been faithful to do with that measure of faith, what he has given you to do. He gave you everything that you need in order to live a godly life. Second, second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, by his divine power, he has given to us all things that pertain both to life and godliness. He has already provided for you everything that you need. So to be successful, to be faithful, to be spiritual, to be holy, to be godly, to be used by him. He's already given you everything that you need, but he can't bless what you won't do. So many people are waiting on God's blessing to do something that he's already told them to do, and he's saying, if you'll do it, I'll bless you. But you've got to walk out it out in faith. Faith, the great teacher James, in the, his epistle, said, faith without works is what? It's dead. I like to say it this way. Faith that isn't working is dead. Because God gave you that faith, but what are you working it out towards and for? Are you using it, or are you just allowing it to lay dormant within your heart? Because it's in every single one of us. But what are we doing with it? He said, it's dead. Think about it this way. You don't give resources to dead people. Why? They can't do anything with them. I have never heard of anybody leaving an inheritance to someone that they knew preceded them in death. I'm going to leave my fortune to my grandfather that died six years ago. You don't do that. Why? Because he's dead. No offense to grandpa, but he's dead. He can't do anything with it. So if your faith is dead then God can't bless what you won't do. God won't give resources to a dead faith. But if your faith is dead today, 
Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. There's always, we serve a resurrection God. We serve a God who is able to take what is dead and make it alive. We, make it, we serve a God who can take something that seems worthless, that is wasted, that is lost, that is broken, and make something that is working and effective and powerful yet again. Because the faith that he put inside of you, it is not ineffective, it is not defective, but you not choosing to use it has rendered it ineffective. It's not defective. God doesn't create bad portions of faith. You ever bought something and you got it home and it didn't work? And you, how, I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than that. You spent your hard-earned money on a product, you got it home and it didn't work. It's a dud. Faith isn't like that. You plug it in, it'll work. You push the button, it'll work. You activate it and it will work every single time. But in the same manner as you don't give resources to dead people, God cannot bless you if you are unwilling in faith to move towards what he has called you to do. So when your faith is dormant, meaning when God has given you, spoken something to your spirit, he has prompted you, he, uh, scripture has left, left off the page and, and spoken life into your being and given you direction and given you vision and given you guidance. Someone spoke a prophetic word over you. You're going to do this and this and this, and God's going to use you in this way. But God can't bless you in that word if you won't obey him in that word. It's, it, it, this is the same principle throughout scripture. Blessing always comes through obedience. If you will obey God and what he is calling you to do, the blessing will be there to do it. If God calls you to start that business, the blessing will be there to start that business. If God calls you to sow that seed, the blessing will be there to sow that seed. If God calls you to have that child, the blessing will be there to raise that child, to provide for that child. But you've got to understand that God can't bless what you won't do. And so many people are sitting around waiting on God to bless something that they haven't done yet. Well, when the money comes in, then I'll do it. When this comes in, I'll do it. But on the other side of the spectrum, because all of us believe that anything I'm saying right now to you, I'm affirming what you already believe. Now I want to, for a moment, challenge what you believe. We don't like that as much, but we need it sometimes. We need to be challenged. On the other side, many people have been taught and thought, if I step out, God will bless it. No, that's not in the scripture anywhere. So many people think, if I step out in faith, God will meet me there. Not if it's God, not God's will. You step out of God's will, you step out of God's blessing. So when God speaks it, he will bless it if you follow it. But if you just choose, I'm going to go over here and do this thing, and God's going to bless me because he has to bless me. No, he doesn't. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not their own will, not their own plans, not their own dreams, not their own ideas. And so many people are out in the desert wondering, where's the blessing of God when he didn't lead them out into the desert? They could be sitting by the river, living well and living high if they would have just been obedient to do what God had called them to do. So it's not that your faith is defective. It's not that your faith is ineffective. It's that sometimes we render it ineffective by doing what we're not supposed to do or not doing what we are supposed to do. Okay? So faith has the potential, according to the word of Jesus, to move mountains. So why are we not seeing mountains moved? One, either we're not speaking to them like we should, or two, we're speaking to mountains that he doesn't want to move. So we're either trying to, create, trying to, 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 out of fear, we're holding back from what he is calling us to do, or out of selfish ambition, we're trying to create something that he never called us to create. So what is faith? I'll tell you what faith is, okay? Actually, let's do this. Let's, let's start here. 
Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm not going to go there yet. First, I want to ask you, or I want you to ask yourself, why would I be unwilling to obey what he has called me to do and step out in faith? Because he can't bless what you won't do. So why am I not doing what he's called me to do? I want to give you some reasons. One could be fear. You're just afraid. One could be pride because you're scared of what other people might think of you. Another one could be worry. Another one could be comfortability. I'm, I'm comfortable where I am. Why would I want to step out in faith? Why would I want to do that? Because I'm comfortable. Makes you think about the rich young ruler. He had everything that he needed in life. He was actually living a good life. Probably had better morals than you and me. Probably had better character than anybody because he came to Jesus. He said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, obey the commandments. He said, which one are you talking about? Jesus said, and he listed the commandments. The rich young ruler said, I've, I've done all the, these things since my youth. I'm, I'm perfect in, in this way. Jesus said, okay, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The Bible says he hung his head and he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had many possessions. I, I think a better translation would be Many possessions had him. He was controlled, but because God's not against you having, God's against things having you. And he went away and he hung his head. He didn't step out in faith. I wonder what God would have done through that young man's life. Had he been willing in faith to sell everything, could he have been an apostle? Could he have been a prophet? Could he have been a pastor? Could he have been a teacher? Could he have been, you know, an evangelist? Could he have been a missionary to be used by God? We don't know, and we may never know because he was unwilling to step out in faith. But God has given to each, just like he gave to you a measure of faith, he gave to that rich young ruler. It's not that he didn't have the ability to believe God. It's that he chose not to. But faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the more it grows. That's a foreign concept to some of us, as I can tell as I look over the crowd today. (laughs) But the more you use it, the more it grows. Just like the two servants. The more they used what the the master gave them, the more they received back in return. In fact, the one that had gained five with five, he said, take from the one that is lacking, that didn't make anything, and give it to the one that did have, because to him who has, more will be given. So the more you use your faith, the more that it can grow. You don't need more faith. You need to use the faith that you already have and watch it grow, because that's how faith works. So many people, in fact, there's a song that many churches sing, don't get mad at me. Give me faith to trust what you say. And I always sit there and listen and go, he already gave you faith. Why aren't you using the faith that he already gave you? So many people want, God, give me more faith, give me more faith. And he's like, I already gave you faith, but you're not using it. A lot of people want God to do for them what they are unwilling to do for themselves. They just want God to to give me more faith. Well, he said, you are faithful and little. Now I'll make you steward over much. But we want more without using the little that we've been given. Use the measure of faith that God has given to you. Now, before I venture any further into this, I'd like to take a moment and to define to you a little bit more. I talked about it a little bit earlier what faith is not. Okay? This is one of my favorite ways to preach is to tell people what something is not to help them discover what something is. Because As we use the process of elimination and we determine what something is not, it narrows our perspective to allow us to see what actually is, okay? So let's talk about what faith is not because I believe that there are many people and I fear that there are many people that have a skewed perspective of faith. They have a misconception of what faith is and it is the most precious commodity that the Father ever gave to us to use in his kingdom because faith, God responds to faith, but God does not respond to what we label faith, 
There's a difference in saying, I'm believing for this, I'm, faith, I'm, I'm putting my faith out on this, and obeying what God has called us to do and actually using true faith. And so I want to explain to you what faith is not. Faith is not doing something foolish and expecting God to bless it. But that's what a lot of people, especially if you grew up in the 90s in the charismatic Pentecostal church, they told you, you just believe hard enough, you can have it. You believe hard enough, you can do it. By God, I can fly this helicopter. No, you can't. Because you ain't been to flight school or learned or put in all the hours. But if God, here's the thing about faith though. If God tells you, go mount that helicopter, you can fly it. That's the difference. I know it sounds silly, it sounds stupid, but there are so many people that think that they can just do something stupid and because they label it faith, God has to bless it. But he doesn't. But if God tells you to do something and you step out and you do it, even something that you could not do in your natural ability before, God will empower you to do. Why? Because you acted in faith. Okay? Now, faith is also not you commanding God to do whatever you want to do. And this is where I think most of the church has actually lost the true sense of what faith is. People think they have the right when they speak in faith, faith, to demand God to do something. That is not faith. So many people do what they want to do and call it faith and expect God to bless it. And they wonder, where's the blessing? Where's the favor? Where's the protection? Where's the provision? Where's everything that you promised to me? Well, if you're walking in faith, you'll have everything that you need. But if you're walking in a false sense of faith or a false teaching of faith, God has no obligation to provide for you, bless you, protect you, or cover you. So many people tell God, to do what they want them to do, and then they call it faith. Some would actually misuse the scripture, God's holy and perfect word, and they would teach you that this misconception, that faith is when you boldly declare something that is not as though it were. How many of you have heard that before? You need to call those things that aren't as though they are. The Bible never tells you to do that. I want to be clear with you today. The Bible never says that you have the right to call things that aren't as though they are. If you go to the book of Romans, you will find out it says God calls those things that weren't as if they were. Here's why. I want to explain this to you. Your words don't have the ability to create reality. Okay? Now, I did not say that your words do not possess power. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those who love will eat its fruit. But your words do not have the ability to create reality out of nothing. Only God possesses that power. So, do you know what a precept is? Precept is an original thought. If you go back to the, the, the first definition of what a precept actually is, it's an original thought that becomes a concept. You and I have never had one. You've never had an original thought. Anything that you and I think or say is spawned by what God originally did or said. We cannot create an original thought. Now, what, you may say, well, what about evil? Does that mean that evil thoughts from, from, come from God? No, that means that you took something that God said or did and you perverted it through sin and made it wrong, made it bad. Intercourse between a man and a woman that are under the covenant of marriage is a good thing. Sexual relations outside of that covenant are a bad thing. So you could say, well, God created sex, so therefore it should be good, it should be great, right? No, it's that God had an original thought that he wanted man, one man, one woman to be under the marriage covenant, the marriage bed to be undefiled, and them to, to be fruitful and to multiply. But somewhere along the line, we perverted it. And now 
It's going so many different directions and courses you can't even keep up with. How many letters do they have stringing onto these groups of people that they have now? Right? And it's just okay to experiment sexually and teach it to, to ninth graders and teach it to seventh graders. And some people are teaching it to fifth graders. They don't need to know anything about their sexuality yet. But because they had this thought that was not an original thought, but it, because of sin, they have a perverted, concept, perverted concept of what God has actually said. And then they've tried to, to make it their version of reality. But your words and I, our, my words, our thoughts cannot declare or make things reality. So faith is not you boldly declaring what is in your imagination as if it were real. Right? Some people say, I'm declaring, I'm believing, I'm going to get a new car. What you should do is this. Ask God, do you want me to have a new car? If he says yes, then you can boldly declare, I'm going to have a new car. Why? Because God told me I was. So my faith is not in what I am calling for, hoping for, expecting for, you know, speaking for. My faith is in what God has said. Because if God said, I'm going to give you a new car, then I can say, I'm going to have a new car. Why? Because God's word will not return to him void. He is faithful to do everything that he says that he will do. So that's the difference. I'm not against declaring boldly in faith what you are going to have or what you, what you need or what's going to happen as long as it lines up with what God wants you to have and what God says that you need and what God's will and what God's plan is for your life. So you need to ask him. And if he says yes, then you can wholeheartedly to believe and declare, I'm going to have a new car. And that's just an example. That's just an analogy. That's how we should approach every single decision and thing in our life. But so many people have been taught bad theology and have been tricked into thinking, if I believe hard enough, I can have it. You ain't got a new car because you ain't believed hard enough yet. You ain't gotten healed because you haven't believed hard enough yet. You just need to believe harder. Believe in what? Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Well, what was their faith in? Their faith was in the fact that he could heal them, but he'd already asked them, what do you want from me? So they were putting their faith in him, not in what they wanted. But most people don't get what they want because they're putting their faith in what they want. They want a new car. They want a raise. They want a promotion. They want a better house. They want a spouse. They want, uh, you know, this or that. Put your faith in God, not in your circumstances, not in your, your, your things that you have or your things that you want. So if it were true that you could, if you believed hard enough, you could have anything, you'd be God and you wouldn't need him. That's why this is such a, a dangerous trap to fall into is because it teaches you if you believe hard enough, you can have it. Well, then you'd be God and God would just be your little genie. They had to do whatever you wished, whatever you commanded, whatever you demanded, whatever you wanted, whatever you hoped for, but he's not. He's God. And he's given me a fresh revelation over the past couple weeks of just how much bigger he is than me. And I have no right to say, to declare, that is mine, unless he said it's mine. Now, if he said it's mine, it's mine. I, don't, I just believe that he's, he's going to give it to me. He's going to provide it. But when God was hovering over the waters in the book of Genesis, he spoke. And he said, let there be light. Boom, light happened. He spoke, let there be firmament. There was firmament. Fir- I struggle with that word, and I'm going to try to say it again. There were mountains. There were rivers. There were valleys. There was water. There was light shining amongst the stars. There was animals. And then he created people all by what? His word. When was the last time that you, you made a star shine because you said there will be a star there in the name of... And so many people, so many people put the name of Jesus on the end of something like that's going to do something. I want to give you just two examples of that. One, the seven sons of Sceva, which 
we're just not going to get into all that today. But basically, there were these guys that they tried to cast out these demons. They said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. They said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but we don't know who you guys are. They overpowered him, stripped him naked, beat him, and sent him running out of the room. Okay? So, that's where that will get you if you're trying that measure. In the name of Jesus, this will happen. It, that, in the name of Jesus, it's not a magic word like open sesame. It doesn't just, what Jesus actually meant, and so many people say, well, he said if we ask anything in his name, we'll have it. If you look up in my name, it means in my character. If you ask anything that I would ask the Father to do, he'll do it. But if you're just asking for your selfish ambition to make your life better, to make you know, yourself look better so that other people will do whatever you want them to do, it doesn't work that way. It's, no, it's not a magic word that you can just put onto the end of every phrase so that things happen for you. You have to ask in his character, in his name. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, I said earlier that God calls those things that are not as if they were. Well, brother, you, you've heard this before. You just need to call those things that aren't as though they were, right? You don't have the power to do that. Only God possesses that power. Only he has that. So, but here's where it gets good. You ready? He will, by faith, implant his word in you and allow you to call things that aren't as though they were because you're speaking through his character, through his authority, and by his word. Because as you speak by his word, when his words are in your mouth and you are speaking, it may be your voice, it may be your tongue, it may be your mind that's computing the words, but it's his word and his word has the power to create reality out of nothing. So I'm not against declaring in faith. You just have to make sure that what you're saying lines up with his word and with his will. And if you're unsure of what his will is, you need to get back to his word. Because in his word, you will find his will. And in his will, you will find power because he will accomplish everything that he sets out to do. Now, with God, the Bible says, all things are possible. That doesn't mean he'll do everything. It means that everything's possible. So the question is, God, what do you want to do? And that's what will be possible. So he will, by faith, implant his word in us and allow us to speak on behalf, creating reality out of nothing. But faith is not me blindly declaring something that is not and expecting it to appear. Faith is when God speaks to me and I believe him and I speak it as if it already happened. That's faith. But so many people think I can just, because I'm a believer, because I, I, I have faith, I can just speak it and it will happen. That's not how it works. I cannot demand God to do something and then expect it to happen. Now, I know this how, because Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That word word is not logos, but it is rhema. That means the spoken word of God. Now the written word, the logos was, was at one point in time spoken by God. So it is both rhema and logos. But as God speaks to me and says, I want you to possess this property. I want you to start this business. I want you to invest in this relationship. I want you to do whatever he commands you to do. Once I hear that, I now have the faith that I can boldly declare and expect it to happen. Why? Because I heard it from God. But I can't just create those realities in my own strength or in my own imagination. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So when I speak in faith, I am not creating my own version of what I think should take place. When I speak in faith, I'm simply repeating what I have heard from God and then expecting it to happen. Nowhere in scripture, church, is there a story, reference, or a poem in which man instructed God to do something and God obeyed man. Nowhere. Why? Because he's God. And if we could do that, we wouldn't need him. And we wouldn't be 
in the frame of mind that we are in as humans, we would have the ability to be God. And there's only one God. So Philippians, though, instructs us in all things, both by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There is a difference between requesting of God and demanding of God. And that's where we've got to learn the difference is saying, God, I come to you humbly to request because you may be sitting there thinking, well, are you saying that I can't ask God for anything? I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that you have every right as a son or a daughter to request of God. In fact, Jesus said, how many of you being evil fathers will give your children good gifts? How much more will your father who is in heaven give you good gifts if you ask him for bread or if you ask him for provision? So realize I can ask God for anything, but I do not. I sit over here going, God, I'm going to ask you for this, but whatever your final say is, whatever your final decision is, that's what I'm submitted to. You can ask God for a new car. You can ask God for a raise. You can ask God for a child. You can ask God for a home. You can ask God for a greater anointing. But ultimately, whatever he wants is what's best for you. So you have every right to request. I, I want to make that clear today. Don't think that I'm saying that you are, you are just some little peon, that God doesn't care about your emotions. He doesn't care about your thoughts. He doesn't care about what you want. Listen, you have every right to request of God, but you have no right to demand of God. Now, when my children are fighting... I don't say, Judah, please don't hit your brother. Bethel, please don't kick Bo like that. Why? Because I'm the boss. That's right. I say, Judah, quit hitting your brother right now. Yeah. Bethel, you stop kicking your brother this minute. Why? Because my words have the authority to command and demand what they will and what they will not do. So that's a demand. Why? Because I have authority to demand them to obey what I tell them to do when they are being obstinate or disobedient towards something that I've commanded or expect of them. But I do not have that right as the child to command the father. I have a right as a father to command my children, but they don't have a right as a child, bless God, to command me. I hear some children, dad, get me a drink. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I've heard it before and I about spanked their kid. Yeah. I mean, just it irked me. Dad, go get my water. Dad, dad, mom, mom, make me a sandwich. No, I don't think so. Why? Because I have an understanding and I was raised in a house that I didn't tell my dad what to do. And I had the understanding that he had the ultimate authority in that house and not me. Now, what is our position in the kingdom of God? We're the children of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. We're his children. So as a child, my, my sons, my daughter, especially my daughter, has every right to say, Daddy, can I have a drink of water? And I will most likely always say yes and give it to them. Right? But if they say, dad, get me a water, they ain't getting a water. They're getting a spanking, right? Everybody going to go home thinking, Pastor Spencer beats his children. No, I don't. No, I don't anymore. You know, they've learned. That's a joke. It's a joke, kind of, but spare the rod, spoil the child. Some of y'all with spoiled children should have found the rod a long time ago. Okay. When my children are fighting, I have every right to demand them to stop, but they do not have any right to demand of me. That's the picture I want to give you between our relationship of us and God. 
We can request anything we want of him, but we cannot demand. But he has the right to demand us to do whatever he wants us to do because he's the ultimate authority, okay? So when it comes to the God of the universe, why have we developed this misconception that we can just speak something and expect him to do it? It's because there are too many people that listen to preachers and don't go find out if the Bible's true or not. They heard somebody say, you can declare it, and so they started declaring it. But you need to be like the Bereans. The Bible says in the book of Acts, the Bereans, it says that they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether or not these things were so. So what I'm saying today, don't just take it as my word. You can go look it up in the Bible. You can go find, God, is that actually what you're saying? And there's too many people. That's why we think that we can demand the God that spoke and created something out of nothing. We can tell him what to do? I don't think so. So we don't have a reference point for, God speak, for people speaking their will to God and God bending to the will of man. But you know what we do have in the Bible? Countless examples of men and women hearing. How does faith come? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It all comes back to that scripture, really, this, this, this sermon. If you don't get anything, realize the way that faith comes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They hear the word of God, and then they respond by faith and do what it seems impossible for a man or woman to do. You ever read the Bible and go, how did they do that? They were just responding in faith to what God had already told them to do. They did not create their own reality. They stepped out into the reality that he created by their obedience to do what he said do and their faithfulness to believe that what he promised he was also able to perform. That's what it says of Abraham in the book of Romans chapter 4. It says that he, he, he believed that God, he who promised, was also able to perform that which he had promised. So back to my original point. God is calling you to trust him and step out in faith, but when you are not willing to be obedient and to act upon what God has called you to do, he cannot and he will bless you, will not bless you. Why? Not because it's not his desire to bless you, not because it's not in his nature to bless you, but there are spiritual laws that prevent you from walking in blessing while actively being disobedient to God. So in my conclusion, not to my sermon, but to this specific point, I want to say, faith never has been, never will be you telling God what to do. Faith is your response to what God has already said, do. Okay? You may say, well, Pastor Spencer, are you saying I can't speak healing or deliverance over somebody? Are you saying I can't call forth a better job or provision over my family or, or you know, for impossible situations to be made possible? No, here's why. If it's in his word, I can declare it. By his stripes, we were healed. So I have every right to say I declare healing over this body in Jesus' name. I'm not stepping out of the will of God when I do that. I have every right to say, God, I believe that you will provide for my family because I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread because he already promised us those things. So if it's in his word and he's promised it to you, you can boldly declare it in faith. Okay. So I just want you to get that this morning. His word has already instructed us that we can do these things. So I'm saying simply that you should not and cannot try to demand God to do anything that he has not already extended to you by his logos word or his rhema word, his written word or his spoken word, okay? In Hebrews chapter 11, though, I'm gonna begin to close with this. Actually, I'm gonna ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. I said uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn this, turn there with me, but we find what is commonly referred to as the hall of faith, 
right? We have the Hall of Fame. Major League Baseball has one. The NFL has one. Country music has one. Everybody's got a Hall of Fame. If you did anything spectacular in your, you know, your arena, you're going to get awarded for it, right? Well, in the same way, it, it really came from the Bible that we have the Hall of Faith. We have these mighty men and women, these patriarchs of the faith who believed God so greatly that they would do whatever he asked them and called them to do. People like Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, just to name a few of them. Every single one of them, as you read through Hebrews chapter 11, it says by faith, and then the writer begins to explain what they did in their lifetime. So I want to go back to this. How does faith come? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So let me give you just a few examples of these people in the hall of faith and what happened in their life. And I want to show you how we can disband this misconception that if we believe hard enough or we step out, God will have to meet us and do whatever we want us to do. Noah, let's start with Noah. You go back to the book of Genesis. God showed up to Noah and said, build an ark. And Noah built an ark. Noah didn't walk outside one day and go, you know what? The world's gotten real crazy. I'm going to build an ark and believe God to send a flood. Because that's foolishness. But that's what so many people do. I'm going to step out and believe God to provide for this business. When God never called you to, to start that business. I'm going to step out and believe God for this and for that. But if you look at the, at the patriarchs of the faith, they didn't try to make God do whatever they wanted to do. Abraham. Abraham didn't look, look around and go, man, I sure wish that God would make me a great nation. And, and I'm just going to leave my family and believe God to, to, to make a great nation out of me. God showed up to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And he said, blessing, I will bless you and I will multiply you greatly. And I will make you a great nation. So why did Abraham leave his family? Because God told him to. He stepped out in faith. He didn't just decide one day, you know what? I think it'd be a great day. And this is a lesson for some of y'all people, okay? He didn't one day go, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice my son in faith. God asked him for his son. Here's where you can apply that to your life. And you might have been taught this before. I'm sowing this seed in faith. What you should do is ask God, what do you want me to sow? I've seen people write it, in, write it on their, in the memo of their check. I'm believing for this. I'm believing for that. They write it and they sow that seed. God never asked for that seed. Abraham didn't get a harebrained idea that he was going to show God how faithful he was by killing his son. God asked him for a son, but then he didn't let him follow through with it. He provided in the midst of it. You may say, well, Jesus said, cast your bread upon the wall, that not many days it will be returned to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's absolutely true. That's our response to do what he has already called us to do in tithing and in giving. He's already given us that instruction. But we don't have the right to say, I, I, I'm sowing this because I'm going to receive this. You're already sowing in the wrong heart. You're already giving in the wrong heart. So these people that we look at, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Not Abraham commanded God, demanded of God. He just believed what God told him to do. And as he did it, God blessed him. Nowhere do we see King David saying, you know, one day I'm going to be king over Israel. I'm calling it forth. I'm going to be the head over everybody. No, God just found a little shepherd boy that was after his heart. 
not after the position, not after the palace, not after the recognition, not after the wealth, not after, you know, everybody seeing him. He was just after God. If you will seek after God, he will tell you what to do. And as you obey him in faith, he will bless you beyond anything that you could ever ask, think, or possibly imagine. We have got to get ourselves off the throne of our heart and into the, and out of the thinking that whatever I want, I can have because I have enough faith. If you want to have an effective faith, stop trying to tell God what to do and let him be God and believe that he is able to do whatever he tells you to do. He'll show you the plans of his righteousness. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll provide for you in every season when you're responding to faith. And I'll tell you what, this has really changed the way that I pray because I didn't realize how many bad habits I'd grown into in in prayer thinking that I was being spiritual calling out things that God had never spoken to me, trying to create reality and then wondering, why didn't it happen? Everybody, how many of y'all have had a prayer not answered? Every single hand should be up. If not, you just ain't prayed yet, probably. (laughs) Every single one of us are going to have a prayer not answered. Why? Because at some point in time, every single one of us are going to ask amiss. James says, "You, you have not because you ask amiss. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Not that you didn't ask at all. It's that you didn't ask the right way or the right time or for the right thing. Because anything that you ask in his name, it will be given to you. It will happen if you ask in faith, right? So sometimes we get so frustrated with the fact that God hasn't answered our prayer But the problem is never with God. It's always with me. So apparently I'm asking for the wrong thing or I'm asking in the wrong way. So here's how I've started praying. Instead of telling God what I want him to do, I ask God, what do you want to do? And then I pray in perfect alignment with that through the Holy Spirit. So, and here's what it does. It encourages conversation with God. Too many people's prayer life is a monologue. You know what a monologue is? A monologue is, is a long speech given by an actor. People that don't actually know God, so they're acting, they're faking it, and they're talking, but it's not making any difference. So many people's prayer life, that's exactly what it is. It's a monologue. It's just them talking to God, them talking to God. Do this, help me with this, provide for this way. Prayer was never meant to be a monologue. Prayer was meant to be a two-way conversation. And so I've learned that through this way of praying, it has developed more of a conversation with God than me just talking to God for 30 minutes. Me just talking to God for 10 minutes. Me just talking to God for 45 minutes. And most people's prayer life never gets beyond that point of, some people don't even get there, but most people don't ever get past that point of just them talking to God. And they wonder why their prayer life seems so dry and seems so dull. But when you start hearing God, there ain't nothing dry or dull about it. And this way of praying, this way of believing, this way of trusting, it promotes conversation with God. And I want to show you in the Lord's Prayer, how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, Our Father, you can find this in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then this is the, the important part. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. Start your prayer with that. 
Start your prayer with saying, God, more than anything, I want your will to be done. I'm going to request of you. I'm going to bring supplications before you. I'm going to ask you to do things. But ultimately, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. I'm not trying to twist your arm. I'm not trying to say, I believe in faith. And so you have to do it because I said it in faith or I said it in the name of Jesus. But I want your kingdom to come in my life and I want your will to be done. Because as long as you are walking in, living in obedience to the will of God, he will be faithful to keep up his end of the bar. So let's change the way that we look at prayer. Change the way that we look at faith. Amen.